in case you haven't heard, my brand new book, Feel Good Productivity, is now out, and it's actually a New York Times and also Sunday Times bestseller. So if you've ordered a copy, thank you so much. If you've read the book already, I'd love it if you could leave a review on Amazon. And if you haven't yet checked out the book, you might like to consider checking it out. In this bonus episode of Deep Dive, we're going to listen to a segment from chapter three of the audiobook. In season two of Deep Dive, I spoke to author and dating coach Logan Yori. And actually in that conversation, Logan said something that really stuck with me. She said that in our lives, there are basement people, people who make you feel drained, and penthouse people, people who uplift you. Soon after that conversation, I discovered that psychologists have studied why it is that some interactions make us feel more energized than others. This chapter is all about how we can collaborate with other people to make our work more energizing. Have you ever noticed that after hanging out or working with certain people, you feel like you're ready to take on the world? These are the people who uplift your spirits and fill you with energy. You want to be around them. On the other hand, you've also probably come across people who leave you feeling drained and exhausted after every interaction. It's as if they cast a shadow over your mood and motivation. People learn to avoid them like the plague, and they learn fast. A friend of mine refers to the latter group as energy vampires. They suck the lifeblood out of a social situation, leaving everybody in the vicinity exhausted. When I first heard the term energy vampire, I thought it was a bit too harsh and a bit too fantastical, but she had a point. Scientists have long been aware of what they call relational energy, the fact that our interactions with others can have a profound effect on our mood. In a study in 2003, psychology professors Rob Cross, Wayne Baker, and Andrew Parker came up with the concept of an energy map. They worked with consultants and managers in a few giant firms to establish who worked with whom and the impact that any given person had on other people's energy levels. Their discovery that there was a remarkable amount of agreement about who was an energizer and who was a drainer, even at the level of large organizations. Some people are just a total nightmare to be around. In the years since, relational energy has become one of the buzziest concepts in organizational science. Defined as the positive feeling and sense of increased resourcefulness experienced as a direct result of an interaction with someone else, relational energy was the subject of only eight studies in 2010, but by 2018, the number was closer to 80. So relational energy provides us with our final energizer, people. As that 2003 study showed, people can enhance our mood and make us more productive. But this isn't a given. It requires deep thought about how we connect with each other. In this chapter, we'll explore various ways we can surround ourselves with people to feel more energized and to do more of the things that matter. Key idea number one, find your scene. Our first insight into the feel-good effects of people comes from the world of 1970s glam rock. It was the beginning of a new decade, and Brian Eno looked to be on his way to a life of contented mediocrity. A recent graduate of the Winchester School of Art, he had been involved in a few avant-garde music projects in recent years, drumming in the odd art rock band and recording the odd song on his battered tape recorder, but nothing had quite taken off. He seemed set for a life as a well-liked but peripheral player in London's rock world. And then, one day in 1971, a chance encounter with a local musician changed everything. Eno was waiting for his train when he bumped into an acquaintance, the saxophonist Andy Mackay, who invited him to a local club where he was playing. When they arrived at the gig, the atmosphere was electric, the crowd was buzzing with excitement, and the energy in the room gripped Eno. Later, he would say of the chance meeting with Mackay, If I'd walked ten yards further on the platform, or missed that train, or been in the next carriage, I probably would have been an art teacher now. Instead, Eno found himself in the midst of a vibrant and exciting music scene. 
In the weeks that followed, he talked to the people he met about music and found himself producing the best art of his life. With Mackay, he would found the influential glam rock band Roxy Music and eventually become one of the most significant musicians and producers of the last century. Years later, Eno would reflect on the importance of that unique musical community in launching his career. He noticed that all the most innovative and groundbreaking musicians of his time were not working in isolation. They were part of a larger scene of artists, producers, and fans who were all pushing each other to explore new sounds and ideas. Eno had discovered the genius of the collective scene, or as he called it, Senius. I've experienced the effects of Senius firsthand. One thing I didn't like about medical school was the sense of competition. Everyone was trying to get the highest grade, the academic prize, the best slot in the residency program. Some took this competitive mindset a little far. One guy I knew would take out multiple copies of the same textbook from the library so that others couldn't use it. Such environments encourage people to see their lives as a zero-sum game. For them to win, others have to lose. But there's another way to think about your relationship with your peers, I eventually learned. Medical school wasn't a competition. We were all part of the same scene. By understanding that fact, we were able to access a wealth of support that we would never have alone. Experiment number one, the comrade mindset. How can we build this sense of seniors into our day-to-day lives? The answer begins with a subtle shift, reappraising what we mean by teamwork. When someone says the word teamwork, we tend to imagine a set of behaviors, splitting up work fairly, or maybe helping someone out when they get stuck. That's part of it, certainly. But there's another way of understanding teamwork, less as something to do and more as a way of thinking. This is the suggestion of Stanford professors Gregory Walton and Priyanka Carr, anyway. They've argued that teamwork is as much a psychological state as a way of dividing up tasks. In a study published in 2014, they divided 35 participants into groups of three to five. After the experimentees had met and introduced themselves, they were taken into individual rooms. The scientists then gave each participant a puzzle and told them they could take as much or as little time to solve it as they needed. After working on their puzzles for several minutes, all the participants received a handwritten tip on how to solve them. All the tips were the same and were genuinely helpful. But there was one crucial difference. When some participants were given the tip, they were told it had been written for them by the scientist running the study. Others were told it had been written for them by one of the fellow participants who they'd met earlier. This small difference had a significant impact on how the participants felt about the experiment. Those who were told that the tip was from the scientists were more likely to feel like they were working completely separately from the participants they met. When asked to describe what they did in the study, some replied, I did an individual puzzle while other people did the same puzzle. They were working in parallel, not together. In contrast, people who were told that the tip was from a fellow student were more likely to feel as if they were on a team with the others. They felt like they were, quote, trying to collaborate with an invisible partner to solve the problem by sending each other tips. When asked how they felt during the study, some participants wrote, I would feel obligated to work hard on the puzzle so as not to disappoint other people. They were no longer working in parallel. They were working together. This subtle change of mindset had a remarkable effect. Participants in the Together group ended up working on the puzzle for 48% longer. They had developed what I call a comrade mindset and they were doing better as a result. This subtle difference between working in parallel and working together might seem small, but it hints at the first tool we can use to harness the energizing effects of people. Even if we're on our own in undertaking a task, we can convince ourselves that we're part of a team, and do so with remarkable ease. 
The trick is to deliberately think about the people you're working alongside as part of your team. What would it take to move your focus from a competitor mindset more towards a comrade mindset? So instead of thinking, you win, I lose, you might think, you win, I win. Instead of thinking of my success, you might think of our success. And instead of thinking, I rise by outdoing others, you might think, we rise by lifting others. What would it look like if the people you worked with weren't competitors, but comrades instead? If you're an employee, could you recruit people to work with you and rely on each other for moral support? If you're a student, can you share your notes or find ways to revise in groups? As Walton concluded, simply feeling as if you're part of a team of people working on a task makes people more motivated as they take on challenges. When the going gets tough, it's better to have friends to lean on than enemies to lord it over. Experiment number two, find synchronicity. There are moments when it can be difficult to find people to collaborate with, of course. Sometimes it can be hard to force yourself to think about people working on the other side of the campus, let alone world, as part of the same team. Sometimes our peers can simply be rather annoying. In these moments, we can draw upon a second tool. One I first came across via a confoundingly clever study by three academics at Ryerson University in Canada. In a 2017 paper, these academics brought together a group of 100 students to investigate the science of teamwork. After being divided into groups of six, the students were given headphones and asked to tap their hand on the table to a musical beat. Some groups of six were briefly all given the same musical beat, so they were tapping in synchrony. In other groups of six, two subgroups of three were given the same music to tap to. Finally, some people were given six completely different soundtracks, so there was no synchrony at all. After that, the headphones were taken away and replaced by some new props. Each participant was now given 10 tokens to dole out, which they were told would be converted into real money later. Who did they want to give them to? What the scientists were interested in testing was the sense of camaraderie between the participants who were in sync. And they found that the level of musical synchronicity changed everything. When participants spent time tapping fingers in synchrony with the trio, they wanted to dole out money to the trio. But if two of these trios tapped in sync, forming a group of six for a few minutes, the members were more likely to donate to all six. What does any of this have to do with the feel-good effects of other people? Well, it tells us something powerful about how to create a sense of teamwork. When we work in synchrony with other people, we tend to be more productive. Synchronicity makes us want to help others, and it makes us want to help ourselves. The implications are simple. If we want to harness the feel-good effects of people, try to find people with whom to work in sync even if you aren't actively collaborating on the same task. In the course of writing this book, I often attended the London Writers' Salon, which runs a free, remote co-working group called Writers' Hour. Every weekday, four times a day, a few hundred writers and some non-writers assemble on a Zoom video call. The facilitator spends five minutes sharing a motivational message and asking participants to post in the online chat what their intention for their writing session is going to be. Then, for 50 minutes, Everyone minimizes their Zoom window and works away at their computer. I continue to find these sync sessions incredibly helpful for staying energized. Even though we're all working on different things, working in tandem with others has huge effects on my ability to focus and helps me feel better too. I hope you enjoyed that little snippet of my brand new book, Feel Good Productivity. I had so much fun recording the audiobook in a studio in London. It was a lot of hard work, but quite a lot of fun. And so if you fancy listening to the entire book, it is available to purchase wherever audiobooks are sold. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode of Deep Dive.